Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Good morning, good morning again. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. If you want to stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to be looking at Romans uh, chapter 9, beginning with verse uh, 19. Sorry, Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will a thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? You may be seated this morning. We're going to continue our series on the book of Romans. Uh, Before we dive in here into these uh, uh, verses, um, I want to go ahead and do a quick catch up from last week. Remember chapter 9, Paul is now transitioned where he's talking specifically about Israel and how Israel has rejected God and how Israel is, uh, you know, over through that, through, you know, throughout the centuries has rejected God and, and that, uh, you know, uh, they're, they, but what he's saying uh, to the nation of Israel is that even though you've rejected God and even though it appears uh, that God has rejected you, uh, but really God has still has a remnant and that God has those who are the spiritual children of Abraham, that not all the physical children of Abraham were, uh, are considered Israel. And Paul talked about how God had chosen Abraham, and then out of Abraham, God chose, uh, chose Isaac, and then out of Isaac, God chose Jacob, right? And so he chose uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even though Jacob was not the firstborn, he was the secondborn, right? And that so God is saying, hey, not everyone who says they're of Israel are not of Israel. He's using that as an example. Uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, that talks about the heart of Pharaoh, right? And uh, we looked at how God uh, takes uh, someone like Pharaoh, where uh, three times in Scripture before chapter 9 of Exodus, uh, Pharaoh says it hardened his own heart before God. So finally in chapter 9, it says that God hardened his heart, right? And so, you know, God is in control. He's fully sovereign. He operates, though, somehow within man's free will, right? Uh, no, anyone that tries to tell you that man does not have free will, they're not telling you the truth. Somehow God, in all of his sovereignty, still operates within our free will, Okay? And so God here is talking about the nation of Israel, the rejection, but that how God has chosen for himself a select group that are the spiritual children of Abraham. And so here we start in verse 19, anticipating that his readers would not be happy about this, that Paul would distinguish between the physical descendants of Abraham from the spiritual descendants of Abraham, knowing that they would, some of them would be offended at what Paul was saying, 
right? Uh, especially, specifically, the ones who would be offended would be those who have rejected Christ. Those who had rejected uh, that Christ was the Messiah, uh, the Jews that were reading this or would hear about this, who uh, did not accept Christ as Lord and Savior, they would have their feelings hurt because they'd go, what do you mean we're not children of Abraham? What do you mean we're not uh, children you know, of Israel? Right? Because they prided themselves at being the children of Abraham. Uh, John the Baptist, I believe, said, uh, hey, they were talking about, hey, we're children of Abraham. You know, how dare you say this? And, uh, you know, John the Baptist said, you know, God could raise up children of Abraham out of these rocks. Right? And so that's what the scripture tells us is that God, so being a physical child of Abraham is not what makes someone special. It's being the spiritual child of Abraham and what we learned earlier in the book of Romans is, is that the spiritual children of Abraham aren't just his physical descendants, but it's us too. We accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We too are spiritual children of Abraham. Now Paul, again, as I said, is anticipating the questions and the, uh, those who would be offended. And he says, "Then well, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? He's saying, hey... You know, if, uh, if God chose Abraham, and God chose Isaac, and God chose Jacob, and God uh, hardened Pharaoh's heart, you'll say, well, then how in the world can God hold me responsible if he uh, made those decisions for people? How can God hold me responsible if he's the one that is fully sovereign and in control? Now, as we go through these verses today, I'm going to give you a couple of different viewpoints, right? And then you guys go and study the scripture, determine for yourself. I'll give you viewpoints and kind of tell you what I believe, right? But then I want you to search the scriptures for yourself, all right? So, uh, basically, again, he's talking to the children of Israel. He's uh, anticipating that they're going to be upset that some of them are uh, spiritual children of Abraham, but he said others are not. And so he says, uh, you know, who, who are we uh, to talk against God? So the bottom line is, guys, no matter what we believe, and if you believe in free will or you believe straight five-point Calvinism where, you know, we don't have a choice in what we make and what we do, Right? Uh, no matter uh, what you believe, the bottom line is God is sovereign and in control, and what God wills will always be done. If you breathe in free will, that means if I choose not to do it, God will find somebody else. His will will always be accomplished. As Mordecai told Esther, if you don't do this, God will raise somebody else up to do it. Yes. Right? If you don't do it, then God will just put, because he's going to deliver his people, and you have the opportunity or God will just get somebody else. But the bottom line is, God is sovereign, and no matter, and that should give you an eye peace, honestly, instead of make us upset, because it lets us know that God's will will always be accomplished. It lets us know that he who started a good work in you will finish it. Amen. Right? So, you know, it should give us peace and not make us angry that God is sovereign. It should give us peace that God is in full control. Why? I belong to him. So here's the bottom line. Whether he chose me, Right, whether he decided before time began that I was going to accept him as Lord and Savior, or whether he operated within my free will that I chose him, as we discussed in Romans chapter eight. Right, regardless, he's in control. Amen. 
right? And we belong to him. He says, who are we to argue against God and reply against God? Will a thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Right? Who are we to say to God, why did you make me like this? Because God's in control. God knows all things. God knows our weaknesses, our failures, our faults. But he does it all for a reason. That's why Psalm 139 is so powerful. I love that chapter because it says that Jesus knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb, that God knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. It says that God had pre-fashioned our days, that God knew every bad thing we were going to do and every good thing we were going to do. He called us and loved us anyways. And David's response to God knowing and doing all those things wasn't God, why did you make me this way? It was God, search me and know me and reveal any sin within me. That's why how he ends Psalm 139. All these great things about God and his control and his sovereignty and all of these things, right? He ends it by saying, God, search me and know me and reveal any unclean thing in me, right? Any sin in me, right? So our response to God should always be one of humility, right? And asking for mercy and grace. Listen, we have to recognize that we need God and we are lost without him. That's what it's all about. Amen. Right? That's what it's all about. So who am I to say to the Creator, honestly, why, God, do I suffer from anxiety and depression? I hate it. I hate every second of it. I hate it. I hate that I have to take medicine. I hate it. But who am I to say, God, why did you make me this way? If I step back and say, for right, for those who love God, who called according to His purpose, He's going to work everything out, then I have to believe that I suffer from that for a reason. Why? To help others, baby. To be honest and transparent so it doesn't have a stigma. Right? To, uh, so other people can know it's okay to get help. Yeah. Right? You know, you may deal with the things that you deal with to help others. Amen. You know, as we talked about Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh. God has a reason and a purpose. So who am I to say to God, why did you make me this way? God is in control, and the bottom line is God can do what he wants. And because God is good, what he does is always good. Amen. Whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, whether we accept it or not, what God does is always good and always has a grander purpose. And what's God's ultimate purpose? For us to give him glory, yeah. to honor him, to have a relationship with him. Amen. Right? Even... The things that we see in this world that we go, how could there be hurricanes and how could there be these things that God allows to happen, God still uses it to demonstrate his glory and his mercy and his power. You know, and we must not confuse what God allows to happen with things that are consequences of sin. Right. Mm -hmm. Disease, cancer, AIDS, right? Sexually transmitted diseases. Those are all consequences of sin. Yes. Amen. Right? Those are all consequences of man's bad choices. So let's not get that mixed up in what God uh, chooses for us. Amen. Right? Because there are consequences to all of our decisions. And we even suffer the consequences of decisions our parents, parents, parents make. Because that's how it works. All right. So who are we then to say against God or the one who formed us? He says, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Meaning God's in control, he can make someone a wealthy athlete and he can make somebody else a poor pauper. Mm -hmm. Right? 
but all have a purpose to accomplish. Right? Remember what we talked about. God chose Abraham. Why? Because Abraham was good? Did God choose Abraham for any other? He chose Abraham, as we discussed last week, to be a blessing. His descendants would be a blessing to all the earth. So Abraham, we should thank God for Abraham, because without Abraham, there's no Jesus. Right? Without Abraham, you and I don't have a Savior either. Without Abraham, we don't know about God, because God revealed himself through the nation of Israel to you and I. And so therefore, you and I are here today. It all started with Abraham too. We may not be his physical descendants, but we sure are his spiritual heritage. Amen. Right? And so God has a purpose. And so, you know, uh, God chooses, you know, when you and I look and we go, man, that person doesn't even love God, but he's got more money than God. Right? You know, why does he get all that? Here I am struggling. I go to church every week. I read my Bible every day. I pray all the time. And I got, it seems like I'm struggling from paycheck to paycheck. Well, who are we to question God? We don't like that answer. You ever had your parents say, because I said so? Right? Uh, I've had my mom say that to me a time or two. My dad especially. Well, it's because I said so. They don't know you no explanation. They may have a great explanation. A good parent who loves their children has a good reason, and they don't owe you an explanation. They don't owe me an explanation. Amen. They're trying to protect us. And many times God has a purpose, and not many times, God has a purpose that's greater than us, greater than what we can see, bigger than what we can imagine. And so therefore, who are we to question the way that he accomplishes his purpose? And that's exactly what this is. Who is an Israelite to question why God uh, chose Isaac and didn't choose Ishmael? What is an Israelite, why do they have to say, hey, God chose Jacob but didn't choose Esau? Mm -hmm. That's God's plan and purpose, and he has his reasons for doing what he did. And we need to look at that in our lives and say, even though bad things happen, God has a purpose for it. Mm -hmm. Right? All right. Verse 22. What if God wanted to show... Now, here's the key in verse 22. What if God... What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now that's a tough scripture. I have taught the book of Romans a lot of times. And that scripture always gets me. I'll be honest with you. This is a tough passage. I will tell you that all these years of teaching the book of Romans and studying it, God opened my eyes to see this a different way. This time and looking at it and how it applies to Israel, you know, that, he's, that Paul is specifically talking to Jews, right, through these passages and addressing Israel uh, and their apostasy, right, uh, and why some Israelites are, love Jesus and some don't. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Some accept Christ and some don't. And the ones that don't aren't really Israel. I mean, that's what Paul is saying, right? And then, you know, so, so when you take that in context and you look at here, there are a couple of different ways. There's actually three I'm going to talk about today at looking at verses 22 uh, through 24. The first is this. And this is the one that a lot of folks hold to. Those who are, are uh, believing, uh, who are, are Calvinists, this is what they hold to. That God... Before time began, before anything happened, God decided who was going to accept him as Lord and Savior. Literally, he chose some to save and some to be destroyed. 
right? That, that's what Calvinism teaches. It says that God chose some folks. So before you were ever born, before any of that, God said, I'm going to save this person and I'm going to let that person be destroyed. Now here's the bottom line. We're all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve hell. So for God to let some people go on to hell, they deserve it anyways. And obviously, even if you're five-point Calvinist, we should be prideful that we were chosen. We should be humbled. Uh, so that's, the, that's that view, right? But now, whether you accept that view or not, the bottom line is God is in control. God is in charge. And if he sent everybody to hell, he would be justified. And if he only sends half the world to hell, he's justified. And that's just the truth. All right? Second, the second view is this is that it takes that phrase, verse 22, that's translated, what if God, to say this. Not that God did it, but what if he did it? Would it make a difference? What if God did choose some to save and some to destroy? Who are we to say that God's wrong? That's the second view, right? So those who hold Arminianism, a lot of, a, a lot of those believe that, that it's more like a rhetorical question of, even if God did it, we don't have a right to say anything about it because he's God and he had a purpose and a plan anyways. And we all deserve the wages of sin, which is death. I mean, let's face it, all of us have messed up. You know, forget Adam, forget Eve, forget all that. You and I have all messed up. Some of us have sinned this morning before we got to church and some of us sinned after we got to church. Let's be honest. Right? Well, we all have sinned. Right? We all fall short. And so, therefore, uh, we are no, no one is to say, well, God uh, is, is sends people to hell. In fact, I read, I believe it was earlier this week, maybe last week, he was talking about people, you know, a young man was uh, being witnessed to, and he was, uh, you could not understand, you know, why would a good God send anyone to hell? And what people forget is we have a good God, but people aren't good. Right, I had someone question me about Noah. Why in the world did God destroy all the world, men, women, and children, and babies? You know? The bottom line is God had every right to, when Adam sinned, to start over with Adam, to just wipe them out and start from scratch. God had every right, right, to when Noah, Noah in the age of Noah, to not even save Noah. He could have destroyed the whole world. And he would have been in the okay. Why? They all had sinned. Even Noah was sinful. He messed up too. So God had, he, he would have been in the right to destroy everyone. Every, every man, every woman, every child was born under sin. We're born guilty before God no matter what. We're literally, as we saw earlier in the book of Romans, we're at war with God. We don't have peace with him. Right? So that's what I'm trying to hope you guys understand. Right? No matter what, whatever God does is right. And based on what the Bible tells us, we've all sinned, we've all fall short, the wages of sin is death, uh, of sin is death, we all deserve eternal punishment, but thank God Jesus Christ came and died upon the cross so that the world can be saved. There's an option. He gave his life so that you and I can be reconciled to God in right relationship, no longer at war with him, Jesus paid the price. Amen. And whether you believe God chose you before the foundations of the earth, or whether you believe that God, uh, according to his foreknowledge, knew you would, uh, in your choice, choose him, so he chose to call you, regardless, God is in control, he's just, he's righteous, he can do what he wants. Either way, God is in control. So for the Calvinists to say it's not fair, who are you to question God? And for me, an Arminian, to say it's not fair, who am I to question God? Right? And the truth is, 
uh, no one uh, can know for sure. Right? And that's why I'm willing to stand up here and admit that I can make mistakes and I, I, I can make and insert my own humanness and my own understanding of God into the interpretation of Scripture. But whatever we believe, we must be careful that we do not become private, or, uh, sorry, prideful and arrogant in our beliefs. Amen. Because no matter what we believe, we are still lost without Jesus Christ and deserve to go to hell. And we don't deserve to be saved. Nobody ever born on the face of this earth deserves to be saved. Only one person born on, the, born on this earth was born without sin and lived a sinless life, and that was Jesus Christ. So even if God did, he's still right. Uh, verse 30. Now listen to this. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who, uh, who did not pursue righteousness have attained a righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. So he's saying to these, the Israel, the Jews, Jewish people who would be reading this, that would get upset, the Gentiles, they'd be like, hey man, Gentiles were chosen people of God. Gentiles, they look down on them. Look how they looked at the Samaritans, right? Uh, these uh, unfilthy heathens? Are these filthy heathens? These filthy pigs? Uh, why in the world are you saving them? Don't you know of all the awful things that they've done? The false gods and things served and all these things? Forgetting, of course, their past and all the idolatry they participated in. But Gentiles, how dare you save these unclean, filthy people? He says, so... But Paul says, you know, I know you're asking me that, that question. So then Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness. Of course, we didn't get it on our own. God freely gave it to us. Thank goodness that Jesus' death didn't just cover Jews, but it also covered Gentiles. Amen. Right? Uh, he then says, uh, but Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Meaning Israel, those guys, they would have taken uh, uh, pride in the fact, Right? That they had the laws of God, and God had revealed himself to him, and God had chosen them, and God had done all these things. Remember, we looked at it last week, you know, he revealed himself, the promises, the covenant, all these things, right, that God gave the nation of Israel. They were, they became a sense of pride and arrogance. And they, hey man, wait up for a second, Paul. You know, we've been pursuing righteousness. We've been pursuing righteousness since Abraham. We follow the law. The Pharisees would have read this and go, man, we're more righteous than everybody. Look at all the rules we follow. Right? Look at this, how awesome we are. Remember the story of the rich man uh, and the tax collector that Jesus told? And uh, the rich man was in there praying about himself, the Bible says. And he's like, hey, man, God, look at me. I Thank goodness I'm not like this poor schmo, the sinful, evil tax collector. Look at me, I'm, I'm a good person, I come to church, and I, uh, you know, I pray, and I give my tithes, of, you know, my 10% of my income, woohoo, look at me. I am striving to righteousness. And then the tax collector, who was rejected by the society, recognized how sinful he was. He was striving not for righteousness, but forgiveness and mercy. A part of God's mercy comes to righteousness and making us in right standing. 
No, as we discussed, no amount of obedience, no matter how good we think we are, can make us a right standing with God. So guess what? Israel can try to obey the law all they want, but the bottom line is the law can't save us. All it does is show us how deprived we are. And even those who would sit there and say, well, we're so righteous and we're so obedient, they too were not even obeying the rules they made up. Right in private, they were as bad as the people they were uh, criticizing. They were arrogant. Uh, uh, at one point, uh, they were called whitewashed tombs. Clean and beautiful and polished on the outside, but inside you can't hide the fact there's a dead, stinky body in there. Decay and bugs and bacteria and death. Why? Because on the outside they had the good clothes and they knew all the right words to say and they were educated and knew the scripture, but on the inside they were dead as a doorknob. Right? So the pursuit of their righteousness, you know, didn't really mean anything. Look at verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. Wait, what? They did not seek it by faith. Well, now hold on for a second. Paul is literally saying they did not seek it by faith. Doesn't that involve free will? What? Oh, yeah. It sure does. They were rejected. Why? Because they were trying to get righteous by being obedient to the rules. The reason they didn't get righteousness is because they were not seeking righteousness by faith. So they had a choice. Uh-oh. They had a choice. They could have chosen to seek righteousness by faith, but they chose to seek righteousness by obedience to the law. He says, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For why? They stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. What is the stumbling stone? Jesus Christ. I believe it was Peter who said Jesus was the cornerstone, the rock that the builders rejected. They stumbled on Christ. They could not get over him. Why? I honestly don't know except to tell you that they thought their Messiah was going to come as a king and deliver them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire on a you know, great white horse. Instead, he came as a lowly Savior. He was what they needed, not what they wanted. Amen. They didn't need physical freedom. They needed to be set free spiritually. Yeah. And so they stumbled at that stumbling block. Their own pride, their own arrogance was why they could not accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Yes. Right? They sought righteousness through obedience to the law, not through faith in Christ. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 224. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.